Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another episode, another week. How are you? Ah, good, man. I was glad to get some tacos last night. <laughs> Need to eat them today, too. <laughs> yes, indeed. Good old Cinco de Mayo. Yesterday was the May the 4th be with you. And also with you. Today... You know what it is. <laughs> I do. I so do. say it. Revenge of the Sith. Oh, the Sith, right? Or Revenge of the Fifth. Wow. Revenge of the Fifth. Oh, Correct. Sorry, sir. And do you know what tomorrow is? I do not. The Rise of the Sixth. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, Star Wars through and through. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. It's great. Always a good thing. Well, awesome. So I'm excited for this episode. We've got an awful lot to talk about. Uh, first coming up is going to be dealing with the Garen Gardner case. We got Resurrection Fellowship with a whole lot of drama going on out there. School lunches. You've got Loveland City Council. I hope you brought your popcorn. And then we bring on the elephant in the room. Most certainly. (laughs) So, but let's dive in with our our very first uh, topic is dealing with the arresting officer of Karen Gardner. So he was actually sentenced today, just a couple hours ago. Yep. Yep. Austin Hopp. Austin Hopp. So, and he was, he pled guilty to one, uh, one, uh, one charge of felony assault. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so he was sentenced or has been sentenced to five years in prison and three years of probation. What are your thoughts on that? You know, honestly, I think it's a good, um, good sentencing. First of all, I'm glad that they didn't, the court didn't bow down and, and bend to some sort of political pressure or anything like that. And I do feel like it was warranted. I think it's great. And you know what? Um, I hope the Garner family is, is happy with that. They seem to be. I saw the press conference and even her son said that it seemed fair. I think so. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a – just the fact that it went nation or worldwide, right? I think there needed to be something that came as a result of that. And it sends a message to other officers that are going to be using excessive force and and really in an appropriate, inappropriate situation. Yeah. And it seems <clears> – <throat> Because this could have gone so many, so many ways as far as the sentencing. I, yep. I wouldn't want to be the judge on that one. Um, but I think that it's a fair sentence I for so. everything that transpired. Um, you know, I think that there's still some opportunity as far as early release or anything of that sort. But as far as five years for what he did to Karen Gardner, it's enough of a message to other police officers that, hey, you will be held accountable for your actions. Well, I think that that's what we've needed in the Loveland Police Department and pretty much all over the country is that there needs to be some accountability. You know, there is always extenuating circumstances and there's always two or really even three sides to a story because, you know, there's my side, your side, and the truth. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that they found in this case that it really was he was at fault. Yep. So I think it's reasonable. So, yeah, so I know we had kind of followed that story from the start. And so it kind of came to an end. We got a conclusion on that story. Yeah, nice to hear. So one of the ones that has gotten me boggled right now is dealing with Resurrection Fellowship. Yeah, this is a weird one. So Res hit more national news during the pandemic, especially dealing with Tom Gonzalez, dealing with mask mandates. At what point in time is there there overreach as far as separation of church and state? How much can you regulate a, a private, a private religious school compared to a public school? And that's where it really got a lot more notoriety than just being people in Northern Colorado being aware of it. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is now there's a lot of infighting going on with this current issue. So 
dive into that. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's the infighting that's taking place between the two separate entities where you have Resurrection Fellowship, the church, and you have Resurrection Fellowship, the school. So, and this is where the infighting starting. And a lot of it is kind of been drummed up because of the expansion. Mm -hmm. So Resurrection Fellowship, the school is wanting to expand onto the church land, build a high school, build a football stadium, build a couple other uh, soccer fields, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And be able to, to expand, especially with everything that has transpired over the last two years with COVID looking at private schools, homeschooling, co-ops, all of that has kind of gone through the roof. Oh, and yeah. so there's an understanding that a private school, somebody wants that option that they would be having larger enrollment numbers and that there is a need to expand. A few years ago, we saw this happen with Loveland classical where it was K through eight. And then they expanded and added a high school into yeah. it. Similar situation as far as the overall growth. That's not the, the part that gets yeah. to the nitty gritty. Yeah, get your popcorn. <laughs> so it, a lot of this has started and it, it seems like there's just been a lot of animosity between Jonathan Wiggins, the senior pastor, and the superintendent. So the superintendent is Jerry Eshelman. And it sounds like Jerry, that to be the superintendent of the school, you have to be a member of the church. Okay. And because of the infighting between him and the senior pastor, he's no longer a member of the church, but is still the superintendent. So now the church is saying that the entire board is out of compliance. And huh. so they aren't willing to do anything moving forward with the overall expansion because they don't have leases signed. It's the, the church land. They don't have any leases signed with the school. They saying that the board is out of compliance and all, and if this isn't enough, at the exact same time that all of this is going on, you have the senior pastor, Wiggins, that has a defamation lawsuit against six former members of the church. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a tangled web we weave. I will say that. You know, what's really sad is that people were looking at that as an option for their kids and thinking, well, this is going to be less drama, less political stuff, less all of that. And boy, howdy, are they rising to the occasion in the opposite? Yes. Politics are around us. And no matter, I mean, shoot, if you've, if you are alive today, you woke up this morning, you're involved in politics of one way or another, whether it's in business, whether it's in school, whether it's a church, whether it's in actual politics, you name it, politics is everywhere, but seeing how much this has gone, um, how far this has gone, and the fact that Wiggins, the fact that mm -hmm. uh, Eshelman, the fact that other board members, all of them are refusing to talk to any media and any press about this. I mean, that's the smart move, realistically, because if, especially if you're talking about a defamation suit and things like that, what sounds to me, it sounds like Wiggins and Eshelin, is that, yeah. sounds like they have some personal vendetta against each other. And I don't know if maybe they got mad at each other, came to fisticuffs, whatever, but it sounds to me like this is not even just, it's not business anymore. It's, it's personal. I'm getting that tension <laughs> from yeah. the more and more we dive into this story it, that it seems that there is a lot of personal tension between the two and everything else is culminating because of it. So, and I think that Wiggins as a senior pastor is pretty much at the point where he's wanting to just throw Eshelman out and say, you guys need to put in a new superintendent. Well, I would certainly agree with that 
statement because I don't know this, it, like I said, this feels very personal. And then, and then this defamation thing. So it's against six. It started with one and now it's up to six former um, members of the church, not the school, members of the church. And then on top of it, you have Eshelman and Wiggins that are also in lawsuits against Tom Gonzalez and the Lamar County Health Department. Yep, for the mask mandates. So you have all of that playing out as well. So it's (laughs) – <laughs> I, I'm at a loss for words. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, it's probably the smartest thing they could do is not talk to the media because defamation stuff, you can just dig a deeper hole. I would be curious to see what that, the, the defamation actually was. Yes. And where? so they actually, in the reporter Herald, I don't know if it was, I mean, it's public knowledge that with the lawsuit, because it's Wiggins versus these Ashland. six people. Yeah. No, not oh those other six people. The yeah. other six okay. people, but I'm I'm wanting to reach out to the the six that are the defendants in this and figure out what the actual story is and dive in deeper because this. <laughs> I, again, it's so I'm strange. A, I'm at a loss for words. Where you you figure that something like an expansion and it's a hundred and ten thousand square foot. Um, school space uh, that rents the space from res for a dollar a year. So, you know, at that point in time, it's, you look at all the stuff that they're doing and the fact that it's culminated now to this point and they have pretty much shuttered any of the expansion process at the moment. They had filed all of the paperwork back in uh, late 2021 to get the process started with the expansion and now everything is ground to a halt. Well, what's really sad is it's not those people that are having their little beef that are going to take the hit on this. It's the kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know about you, but the last couple of years with all the issues with the boards and superintendents and, you know, the entire country with education, I, I think it, it really is the kids that are going to suffer from this. Because I think we've all looked at different options for our kids and said, is this the right place for them? Well, I'll tell you what. If they're fighting like that, I would I wouldn't put my kids out there just because I would be concerned that they would be drug into it. Yeah, that's not their problem. Yeah, that's too bad. That so, but it does bring up another another story that we're dealing with right now is dealing with school lunches. Yeah. So, and this has gotten big within the state of Colorado because, um, so right now school lunches it's about a ninety million dollar ninety million with an M uh, million dollar bill. To pay for school lunches. So it's, it's breakfast and lunch for pretty much all students within the state of Colorado. Yep. I know even my daughter has taken advantage of it. I'm sure your your kids have. It was a good program during the pandemic, especially with the school shutdowns and people that were very food insecure. Yeah. Being able to say, Hey, we don't have to worry about this. That program is a federal program that goes away at the end of June. Yeah, that is disappointing. So one of the things that the Colorado legislature has been trying to do, uh, they first tried it with Senate Bill 22087, was to be able to fund it. And they were going to um, essentially the top, the top, I think it was top 10% of earners in the state of Colorado would lose a tax deduction, that, and that's where the $100 million would come from. And that didn't pass. So now the House is, with House Bill 22-14-14, is trying to push it to it being on the November ballot as a ballot initiative of saying whether or not we want to do it. And actually, that one, I had those mixed up. Okay. So the original one was uh, Senate Bill 
The Senate Bill 87 was to tap into the general funds. The new bill is to do the tax on the top earners within the state of Colorado. Basically remove a, a tax deduction to be able to, to fund it. Okay. But that will go to a vote and then at the people are going to decide whether it passes, whether it doesn't pass. You're still dealing with a year. If, if Congress, if federal yeah. Congress doesn't act and reinstate it, then we're still dealing with a year gap because if, if the voters agree on it and they pass it, that won't start until 2024. Right. So hopefully the federal program would maybe catch or make up the difference or, I mean, obviously it's ending, but maybe they can do something else to sort of fill that gap. I mean, I don't, I don't really have an issue with passing a law. And I mean, even if I am part of that percentage, I don't know. Um, but, I don't have an issue with that at all. I think it's really, really good. You mentioned the population that it's going to affect the most. It's that food insecure. Correct. And with everything that else that we have going on, the issue we were talking about inflation last week, you look at the cost of housing, you look at the cost of fuel, you look at the yep. cost of food, you look at everything that's, that's happening within our society right now. Even here in northern Colorado, and we're in a little bit more of a bubble than most of the rest of the, of the nation is. Yeah. But even here, we're starting to see this happen to a pretty large extent. And at that point in time, when you have families that they're they're relying on this, you know, they may have never relied on free lunches, but now that's something that they're like, hey, at least my kids are getting two meals a day. Right. And then you take that away at the same time that everything else is going up. It, it almost seems like a no-brainer that they have to do something. Yeah, I would agree. To be able to just push us through. Well, and you know, some households are, as you mentioned, they are very food insecure. And you put all these extra constraints and stressors on the family. I mean, one of the things that was really good during the pandemic is that kids that were at home by themselves, the parent had to work, had could walk over or drive, mom could drive them over during her lunch break or something and they would get lunch yep. and they would send them extra stuff yep. so that they would be eating. You know, it's very difficult for anybody to pay attention and to learn when they're hungry and hunger is a big thing that we need to address. I mean, the reality of it is, you know, these, these, these families are taking very, very big hits, very big hits. And, and that may be the only meal that they have. And on Friday afternoon, they're probably hoping that they got a bigger lunch. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really pretty sad. I, I would concur that something needs to happen with that because these kids do not deserve that. Yeah, and it's this is something that I think it's a nonpartisan issue. Concur. This is whether you're on the right or you're on the left. This should be a nonpartisan issue of come together, figure out exactly what's going on. Again, we we last week we talked about inflation, where if we used the numbers that we did. 40 years ago, yeah. we're at a 17.3% inflation rate right now. Right. Interest rates are going up. And you have uh, a lot of people <clears throat> that were solidly in the middle class that now their savings have dried up. Yeah. And now they're using credit cards. And then if all of a sudden you've had a year hiatus of, of spending whatever amount on kids' lunches, you've had at least that in your pocket. Yep. <sighs> Well, let's put yeah. it this way. And, and I think this is something maybe our listeners can kind of think of, think of on their own is, you know, if you had it, your child is eating just fine and you don't have food insecurity and you're able to put a meal on your table every single night. Doesn't matter if it's McDonald's or some homemade meal. Okay. You're able to feed your kids. If you found out that one of your children's friends was not eating regularly, what would you do? To help them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we're doing. 
Yeah. That's all we're doing. And it's not, it, like you said, it's, it's totally bipartisan. We need to feed these kids that have this issue. And honestly, like you said before, my kids benefited from it. They would walk down every day and they just to school down the street and they'd grab their bag of food and they'd head home and they'd eat their lunch. Took a lot of stress off of me too, because I was concerned, like, do I make pre-made meals? Do I buy, I mean, I don't want to be well, buying shoot, junk. At that point in time, you were in the middle of the pandemic with everything else and Right. In your line of work, you know, in healthcare. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So this is something that I hope, I hope we get to some sort of agreement on and that they can actually pass that. Yeah. Um, whether it's at the federal level that they do a one year extension, cause it's not just the state of Colorado. This is something that is going to affect the entire nation and being able with everything else that we have going on. If this is something that we can take care of, I mean, shoot, we spent the CARES Act, the CARES Act. We spent $758 million, $758 million mm-hmm. on the Air Force that didn't receive any cut in their budget, but yet they received uh, $758 million from it. Right. If we can do that with our military that didn't lose any budget, didn't lose anything, and overall with the CARES Act, I think it was somewhere, I'd have to go through my notes, I think it was somewhere in the like $4.5 billion with a B. With a B. That went to our armed services when they didn't have a loss as far as their their uh, budgets were concerned. If we can do that, this is something that should be a no-brainer. I would but agree. Unfortunately, we were, you know, it's politics, so... <sighs> Speaking of politics, Loveland City Council. Uh, I think we should buy a popcorn <laughs> machine for the studio. Yeah, and just start popping oh, right at the beginning man, of recording. Oh man. Um, <clears throat> well, if you like 15 minutes of Tucker Carlson. Yes. So one of the big issues that is definitely top of mind within the city of Loveland and really all of northern Colorado is transients, yeah. is the homeless population. Yep. Because the, you know, if you're driving northbound on 287, just past 402, mm-hmm. you look off, you look off to the right, and you see all of the encampments. Yep. And it gets bigger and bigger every single day. It does. And so there is a major issue that's going on. But I don't think any, I didn't have it on my 2022 bingo card that uh, Councilman Steve Olson would play a 15-minute clip of Tucker Carlson talking about the homeless ish, homelessness issue happening. Is in particular, I think this was in California. Yeah, because it's. I mean, there are pockets of areas where it's pretty pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> So, and we, I know we talk about Loveland City Council an awful lot, but it's, it, there's so much popcorn material that you just got to dive in and try and figure it out. But I cut you off. What, what were oh. you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, don't, don't think of the encampment. If you haven't been down there, I don't necessarily suggest you go down there because honestly, it's not very safe. It is very dirty. There is, I mean, there's needles and trash and fecal matter and all kinds of stuff going on down there. Now, that's not to say that everybody down there is a criminal. Okay. We do have a housing problem in the country and we had a, you know, several years now of people losing their jobs and losing their housing. I'm not, it, it, let me make it very clear. I don't have anything against homeless people. Okay. What I have a problem with is this, the destruction of property, filth and violence. 
And you can definitely tell a difference between someone who is homeless and somebody who is a transient. One, exactly. And I mean, it's just like when I posed to Jackie Marsh that, um, what was the city going to be doing? Well, this was like six months ago, wasn't it? Yeah. I asked her what the city was going to be doing about the, the transient problem. And the answer that I got was, well, they're transients. They're going to leave. Well, they haven't left and they've formed a huge camp and, and it should be noted that, you know, in that ditch that's over on that area there, yeah. that's what they're using for their restrooms. And that is Greeley drinking water. Yeah. Greeley should be very, very mad. Oh, very much so. And some of the stuff that's happening within the transients, um, as far as why the transients aren't moving is because all of the other municipalities around Loveland are starting to put in uh camping bans. Yep. So Longmont did it. Mm -hmm. uh, the counties are looking at doing it. So, and when Longmont did it, so they had a big encampment by the North Walmart yeah. off of 287. And when they put in that, that camping ban, then all of a sudden everybody went across the street and down the hill to the big church. Yep. Because that's in the county. I remember that. Yeah. And so you're seeing these transients that they're just finding the pockets that they can stay in, but it's the transients that are the ones that are the heavy drug users, the destruction, everything that mm -hmm. you were talking about. But again, part of the reason why this clip from Tucker Carlson, I mean, shoot, at 15 minutes, that's not really a clip. Not, not exactly, no. Um, was because there is a proposed camping ban. Okay, so... I think we should probably pause for just a second and say, you know, acknowledge that, yes, a lot of transients have mental health problems. They have drug abuse problems. They're clearly very food insecure. Um, some of them are veterans that aren't able to hold down jobs. Uh, so it should be noted that I think that there are a lot of social issues that cause homelessness and subsequent sometimes transients, right? But that's not to say that anybody thinks that anything anybody wishes ill on them it's just mostly that they it needs to be it can't be this camp where it is a definite public health issue and that's that's the big change is because now it's become such a problem because they've yeah. just again with with jackie's response to your question they have just kicked the can down the road right to the point that now all of a sudden the road ended you can't kick it anywhere yeah. and so now what we're seeing is more violent attacks. Yep. We're seeing a lot of property destruction. It's theft, property destruction. Um, cause they're, you know, some of the local businesses down there said that anything that basically isn't bolted to the ground <laughs> is going to be damaged and it's, or stolen. Yep. I mean, how many people have you seen just on Facebook alone that have had their bikes stolen? My kid's bike was stolen last summer, you know, yep. and it was chained up outside of his work. Yeah. I mean, it's, you we're, know, we're seeing this escalate on, <clears throat> a exponential proportion at the moment that now it's gotten to the point that they have to deal with it. Right. And it is very much a public safety issue and it is something that needs to be, you know, okay. Services, things like mental health care, um, drug rehab programs, those type of things. If that individual is willing to be part of that, then absolutely we should support that. But what you need to know about the transient population is that typically they are transient because they choose not to deal with it. Now, that's a whole nother podcast about addiction and all oh, kinds yeah. of things. I yeah. mean, that's a whole nother podcast, but it is sad. And I'm not saying that it doesn't make, cause it does make me very sad, but it can't be the property owners and homeowners. It, the onus is not on them. It's not. And, and I think, you know, a camping ban, I don't know. I mean, it seems 
callous, but I don't know that it is. What a lot of people are wanting is an area that they can be directed to. But again, if you're going to do that, then at that point in time, the police department needs to regulate it. It's one of those that, okay, you can do this, but if you do not have a decent upkeep on your camping site, then you're gone. Well, and there was that area that they were talking about just south of Loveland, right? That they were saying that it was, it was an area essentially where people could camp for free. And it was just, just basically an open area that that type of living situation would be allowed. However, I take real issue with that because there are no bathrooms, there's no running water, there's nothing. And okay. They're just pushing them further and further out of sight. It doesn't solve the problem and in fact exacerbates it even more because there's no services around them. So now you have a a homeless camp with people that have zero resources. It's just going to make it worse. Yeah, because the major reason why so many people have kind of put their encampment there is because it is an open space that's off the road, Mm -hmm. but close enough to the road and close enough to the food bank Mm -hmm. or the food kitchen um, that they can walk up the road to be able to try and and grab something to eat, do something of that sort. But again, it's it's the cost-benefit analysis. Right. And when you have enough people, especially with – Everything that we've already talked about as far as rising inflation, rising fuel costs, rising food costs, you take into account all of that. And on top of that, property taxes have increased. Yeah. Now people are getting pissed. Well, I would agree with that. And, and I mean, I live in the downtown area and anybody that lives downtown will tell you that we've had a significant increase in crime that there, I mean, there are people in front of the post office that are doing the liens, if you will, from serious opiate issues. Okay. It, it, yeah. People yeah. are dying from this kind of thing and they're dying on our streets in front of our houses, in front of our children. And it, it really is a bigger problem than just putting a camping ban on truthfully. I don't know what all the solutions are, but that's not, that's not going to solve the problem. Yeah. So, and then we've got again with <laughs> Loveland city council, <clears throat> Don Overcash with the recall and the estimated price tag is that it could cost almost a quarter million dollars to do this recall election. Yep. I mean, you know, here's the thing. You know, if they didn't spend as many millions of dollars on, uh, paying out lawsuits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I get where you're going with that. That the thing is, is that we essentially are causing a gaping hole in our city budget anyway. It, now I'm, I've looked at the reasons why they're, they're asking for the recall and some of them are very, very valid. We've heard very little from Don Overcash on any of this other than he feels like he's being attacked. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I can understand again, the way that Loveland's set up is you have two representatives from each ward. There's yep. four wards and it's to be able to have balance. So you can have somebody on the right, you can have somebody on the left and be able to try and work some of this stuff out Yeah, because, and with any city you have, it's birthed. We're dealing with this where they wanted to do an oil and gas ban. Yeah. Because the way the Bertha is set up is part of Bertha is in Larimer County, part of Bertha is in Weld County. Larimer County did a moratorium on oil and gas. Weld County did not. <clears throat> sort of did a moratorium on oil and gas, unless you're the McWinnies. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's another story. Yeah, a whole different podcast. <laughs> so 
but when you look at it and you say, okay, it's great. You can do a feel good. We're going to do a moratorium on drilling and, and oil and gas. But again, you take a look at it and go, how much money are we actually getting from this? And in the case of birth, it's over 50% of our budget right? or our funds yeah. that, that the town operates on. So it's not something that you can just quickly and, and just swiftly brush aside and say, Hey, we don't need this anymore. Agreed. So there are certain things that a elected official, especially a, a city council person or a board of trustees member that you have to take a look at where, yes, it may be a hot button issue for a particular group of people that say, hey, we don't want to do this. But as that elected official, it's your job to educate. It's your job to be able to say, hey, this is why we need to take a look at this. This is why we need to do this. We have X, Y, and Z happening. And if we don't you know, add tea into it, then all of a sudden we're going to be in a desperate situation or vice versa. Right. But it's the job of those elected officials to help educate the public with, okay, why am I making the decision that I'm making? Right. And I think that that's where the breakdown is with overcash. And really a lot of our elected officials right now is they aren't good at educating at all. And they aren't good about saying, okay, yes, I voted for this. But here's the reasons why. And there's an overall lack of communication, especially at our local level, from our elected officials that say that put it out there to the public and say, hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And there's also a lack of interest Uh from the citizens of understanding it. And so when you have both of those combined, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this guy's bad or this girl's bad, you know, whatever it may be because they're making these decisions and they're really kind of going in blind and just making that emotional response instead of trying to figure out what's actually going on. Well, the biggest problem I think is that those two people that are supposed to balance each other out in each ward can't get along. (laughs) And it's not even about partisanship. It's really personalities. They can't get along. They can't come to the table and talk to each other in, in a meaningful conversation that has benefit to our city. Correct. And and it, you know, it's just like you said, do you have your popcorn? Because everybody is grandstanding at this point. I mean, a 15 minute clip or, you know, I don't know, full show. I have no idea. I, I can't, I, I, boy, when it's it's a quarter of the show, that's more than just a clip, but right. um, Exactly. But dealing with the overcash recall, the way that our governments are set up is if you're unhappy with how you're being represented, you have the opportunity to be able to recall that person. Yep. At that point in time, it's a cost of doing business. It's a cost of running a government. So even if it costs them $250,000, they still need to go through the process. Well, it would be money well spent on settling the minds of the people. And if he is recalled and somebody steps in and takes his position, then okay, the people have spoken. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like reelection when you're running against the incumbent, are they getting elected or are they not? And if they're not getting elected again, it basically means that they were taken out of office because they no longer represent what the people want. You're right. $250,000. Okay. That's a lot of money. Kind of. I mean, Obviously to us, because that, you know, that's a lot of money, you yeah. know, but if it means that better decisions are being made or that even if the recall isn't successful, then maybe people will start paying more attention, will become active in their local council, start making decisions that benefit everybody. And maybe the other councilmen and women will take notice yeah. and start doing their jobs. 
because I'm tired of it. Well, and I think one of the easiest things that Loveland City Council could do, and I'm hoping that Berthoud will adopt this as well, is what Longmont does. Is Longmont, you have a meeting goes from 6 until 9. Anything that's not completed by 9, you can either set up a special meeting for it or it goes to the next meeting. But what that does is by putting a time constraint on it, this last uh, city council meeting in Loveland went till 1230 at night. And who's even paying attention at that point, honestly? Yeah. Not a whole lot of people. So when you have an unlimited amount of time, then all of a sudden you can have all of these side conversations. You can dive further and further. You can play a 15-minute clip. I guarantee that if there was a three-hour time limit on that meeting, the clip would have never been played. Right. Well, and, you know, there's accusations that members, any, all of the members of the council, honestly, are all texting each other back and forth and calling each other names and making fun of each other and all of that. Like, come on, you're adults, allegedly, <laughs> and you need to act like it. And you're right. Let's get to the point. These decisions need to be made. We can discuss it if we feel like we need to table it so you can go and educate yourself so you can come back and make an educated vote or decision, then do it. But at this point, okay, 250. Okay, yeah, that's a lot of money, but how much did we pay out to, to Karen Garter's family? Three million. Three million dollars. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there are so many. Yeah. So many things I could say about that, but I'm not going to go into it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, are you ready? I'm. I'm ready. It's time to take on the elephant in the room. Here it is. This is something that. Uh, um. It will affect us here locally. That's why we both, Jen and myself, thought it was important to talk about this is because the leaked 95-page, um, is it dissent? It's not a dissent. It's Incident a, in draft. A draft that was leaked from the Supreme Court on the possible overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I've heard some pundits talking about how it's not really the potential that it will be overturned, but we just have to wait for them to vote, and then likely they will vote that way. So in the way the vote is, is stacked right now, there's five in favor of overturning, three against, and then um, Chief Justice... Was it Roberts? Roberts. Yeah, is, Justice Roberts. Uh, ...is on the sideline at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I'll let you dive into this first. And then uh, we'll go from there. Well, I think we definitely need to address that this this leak of documents, whether it was an intentional leak or not, is exceptionally problematic because it is at the Supreme Court level. And has this ever happened before? Yes. When? Do you know? Yes. Actually, it was um, regarding the same incident. It was uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But with that one, it wasn't the entire document that was leaked. It was only a small portion of the document that was leaked. And it was leaked about an hour before um, everything was read. Okay. So it wasn't to this extent. You didn't have the full... 95 pages <laughs> of court opinion and how they're planning on voting and doing all of those things. Correct. Who do you think leaked it? I don't know. I I have speculation on both sides. So you have everything that's been happening with uh, with Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, yeah, with all of that stuff. This definitely took the heat off of him. Oh, totally. <clears throat> um, you can look at it from from the right of. Just to clarify, the Clarence Thomas one is the January sixth thing where his wife was involved, correct? Texting plans and things like that. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely correct. took the heat off of him. 
Yeah. Yeah, 100%. There's another way of looking at this that it was leaked by by one of the five members on the right because somebody's starting to waver. Okay. Then there's also the other side is conveniently this was leaked right after polls came out that were showing how badly the Democrats are doing in the midterms right now. Got it. Okay. So to take the heat off of the Democrats and try to give, try to bring up the base again to going into the next election. So there's a lot of different ideas on where this leak came from. Number one with the leak, they need to find out, they need to do a full investigation and whoever leaked it needs to be prosecuted. 100%. They need to be held accountable. I I mean, (laughs) this is such a hot mess. And I, I understand, you know, the Supreme Court is going to put up, put out their opinions, all of those things, but it sounds like they are really going to vote that way. Or at least that's the speculation that they really are going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, but and I, this is not a good thing for the Supreme Court to have this kind of leak. No. So let's dive into what the actual leak was. Have you, I've only read about 60 of the, of the 95 pages. Of course you have. No, I actually haven't read that. I've done a lot of reading of news sources and all kinds of stuff, but I haven't read the actual leak. So the biggest part about this, if this is how it moves forward, it is not a ban on abortion. Correct. I do know that. Yeah. This, what this does is it gives it back to the States. Mm Mm-hmm. So the states are able to decide how they want to proceed forward with abortion within their state. This is the reason why we're talking about it, because if this happens, Governor Polis has already come out and said that we will essentially, the state of Colorado will be a safe haven for abortions Mm -hmm. and people will be able to come here from other states to have that performed. So just as we dealt with weed and people Mm -hmm. vacationing to smoke pot, now you have vacations to come to Colorado to have an abortion done. So on Roe v. Wade, I, I want to, I have a couple of things I want to talk about, but I want to give you the the stand right now and dive in from where from your perspective. All right, I'm going to go from the nursing side of this for just a few minutes. So bear with me, okay? Um, one of the things that this causes is, in my opinion, and I want to make it very clear if we've talked about this before, I am pro-choice. Um, I'm not pro-abortion. It, that needs to be noted. I don't think – you'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of people that would admit, number one, or even actually be pro-abortion. So it's important to note that. However, there are situations that an abortion is medically necessary, number one. And number two, sometimes it's a, a safety of the mother. It could be – you know, incest, rape, all of those things. Okay. Um, you can stand back and you can say, well, everything except in the case of this or everything in, except in the case of this, etc." But what that's doing is it's taking that decision away from a woman and her doctor. And if her doctor feels like it is a medis- medically necessary procedure or that it is an appropriate procedure for that individual, I don't believe that anybody should have the right to tell anybody what they are allowed to do with their body. Now, that's going to stretch out to a lot of expanses, okay? <laughs> a lot of yeah. expanses. So I, I fully acknowledge that. But what I think is very important to note is that this is a direct hit on women's health care. And I mean in the sense that if you can tell me that I have to carry a baby full term because I cannot terminate that pregnancy despite the fact that it may kill me or that it may ruin my life or that maybe I can't financially support a child, 
you're going to tell me that and have zero social programs or poor funding for social programs to help somebody that has had a child that they did not feel like they could handle having one way or the other, then at that point, it's really not about being pro-life. It's about being pro-control. You're controlling what I do with my body. You are making a decision for me. And you are saying that you really don't care of if women are oppressed. Now, let me make the oppression point and I'll, I'll be brief on this. Here's the thing. Women, and I think everybody would agree that women have been oppressed for a very, very long time. We're making leaps and bounds. And I don't think that not, I don't think people go out and intend to be oppressive to women. But if somebody has a child that they did not, they were not financially able to care for or that taxed their body or that could potentially kill them, whatever it is, you basically said to the woman that you do not care that she should have any sort of control or rights and that you do not care if she lives in poverty or if that child isn't taken care of or if it was, you know, say it was in the case of incest. It doesn't matter that it completely destroyed you emotionally. It doesn't matter. It's, it's really, um, it really comes down to the idea that you are saying that women's health care has zero importance. That has been an issue for a very long time, and I won't make the parallels there because there are plenty of other medical issues that women suffer from that they don't believe us. You know, uh, endometriosis, that's a very good example. PCOS, those kinds of things. It's starting to really become clear our bodies are different than men's bodies, okay? Whether it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the difference is. What it matters is, is that we have the right to seek out and make our own bodily decisions, I got all kinds of rage and anger about it, but I'm not going to go into that because it really is just my personal anger. But I do not think, and here's the thing though. The thing is, is that if you, if you ban abortion, wherever you choose to ban it, what we are doing is we are allowing for basically the rise of back alley abortions, whether it's actually a back back alley abortion or it's somebody shipping you plan C so that you can, you know, abort a fetus that you're not able to care for, or that might be the worst thing in the world to happen to you. Okay. It's, it, it really is not about saying that I'm anti-baby or, you know, pro abortion because I'm not pro abortion, but you cannot take those rights away. Now I'm going to take this another step further. If somebody can tell me what I can do with my body, but I can't, I can't make that decision myself. And I'm going to be forced to carry a child full term. Nobody is going to step up and help me financially with that child. They're going to say, well, you shouldn't have had so many kids. You should be on birth control. You shouldn't have been sexually active. The list goes on and on and on of you shouldn't have done this. It's your fault. You're in poverty because of that. Nobody is willing to step up those social programs that we've talked about before. We just talked about a social program. If you can't afford to feed your kids, you shouldn't have had them. Well, I'm sorry, but there are a lot of other factors to it. So don't tell me what I can do with my body and I won't tell you what you can do with yours, right? I don't tell you that, you, you know, you can only have one child or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, it, it is yeah. so, I have to tell you, I, I, this came out and I just started crying because we are seeing it all over the country in Oklahoma and Texas. Where else is the other one? Um, Mississippi or Georgia? So this is actually, this decision is coming out based off of the Mississippi, is it Mississippi or Missouri? I think it's Mississippi. I don't know. I'll look. Okay. Yeah. So it's one of the two. It's um, based off of their law. 
that they had passed. And what that law was, was abortions um, are banned after 15 weeks with the exception of a, um, of harm to the mother. Correct. Correct. Or medical issues, harm to the mother. Well, I want to be really, really clear about this. I, I know that this is a religious issue for a lot of people and I totally respect their religious views. I really do. And I just want to point out like Catholic charities actually has an anti-abortion program in which they support mothers who chose not to abort their children. They couldn't do it. And the Catholic church, believe it or not, has stepped in and said, we'll help you. We will help you and we will make sure you have access and housing and food and all of those things. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen. I mean, kudos to the Catholic Church. We don't always say that, but kudos to no. them because they're doing what really needs to happen. So I do want to take a step back real quick. Please do. So with with the law that was passed and what this this judgment is based on that has the potential to overturn Roe v. Wade is the fact of abortions would be banned after 15 weeks with the exception of medical or harm to the mother. I think that's a reasonable place. Do you know what France's abortion is? Uh, What their abortion law is? Isn't it up up until birth? No. No. Abortions are banned after 14 weeks with the exception of medical reasons. Okay. So this bill, (laughs) what everything is being decided on is less strict than France. And a majority of the European nations are banned. Abortions are banned after 12 weeks. Anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks is pretty much on average. Like elective abortions, you're saying? Correct. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) that's, that's where you have to look and dive into this. And it's, it's an interesting dichotomy that is, is starting to occur because of everything that we've gone through within the last two years. You look at the My, Boy, My Body, My Choice, you have that, yeah. how that went yeah. back and forth, all yep. of that stuff. Um, but also you look at the LGBTQ community, especially with trans. Yes. And how men are able to have kids. Well, then all of a sudden this came out and now it's women's rights. And they've been awfully quiet about trans rights. And so it's the overall hypocrisy that is, is infuriating to me Mm -hmm. as well as how many people that are against abortion, but they won't have an argument or have a discussion about abortion without bringing religion into it. Right. I mean, I, I respect, I respect that a lot of people feel very strongly about the abortion topic because of their religious or spiritual beliefs. I really do respect that because I think that everybody is entitled to that. Yes. But right now in, in our nation, it's the first time in history of our nation that less than 50% of our nation says that they are religious. So the moment that you start the conversation based off of your religious point of view, it's great that you have it, but the moment that you start that conversation and say it's because of my belief system, you end that conversation. I concur. Because now you've redirected it to where instead of talking about abortion, you're now talking about your religion. Right. And so that conversation doesn't go anywhere and we get further and further uh, division throughout this process instead of having the honest conversations that need to happen. Right. Well, the other thing that's interesting, especially with the trans argument kind of thing, and I, I, this is one of the things that concerns me the most. And, and we've kind of talked about some of these things in the past, but here's the thing. If, if the government or your state or wherever you're at takes away your right for an abortion or your right really, and here's the thing, abortion is healthcare. 
Okay. It, it really is on so many different levels. You may or may not agree with it, but it is healthcare. Okay. At least that's my stance. You can disagree if you should choose to, but take away the healthcare rights of the woman. Who are they going after next? They are taking our rights away one by one by one. Each state is essentially enforcing the religious laws of whoever their elected officials are that are going to push this through. Do you know that 69% of America is pro-choice? This was actually a thing that came out just recently that said that they – well, they didn't believe that abortions should be banned, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And um, not so, necessarily that they're pro-choice, but that they don't believe that abortions should be banned. So you've got to read the entire article. I will. Well, and I – yeah. the reason why, when you, when you actually dive into that, yes, it's uh, – 69%, I thought it was actually higher than that, that do not believe that abortion should be banned. But then when you actually dive into it further, please, yeah. 65% of the United States uh, citizens believe that abortion should be banned after the second trimester. 80% believe that abortion should be banned in the third trimester. Right. So there is the agreement that there should be a timeline, whether that's yeah. somewhere between 6 to 16 <clears throat> weeks that abortion should be legal or six to 20 weeks that abortion should be legal. But once you pass a certain threshold, then at that point in time, you had two, three, four months to make your decision. Right. And now at this point in time, you need to bring that child to term unless there is a medical issue. I concur with that though, honestly. And that, that would be where I do kind of tend to swing to the pro-life side is that come on. Okay. And, and, you know, I don't think anybody goes out there think that they're thinking that they're going to use abortion as birth control. Well, and one of the things that we need to do, and this is, this is the infuriating process that I have is we need to redefine what an abortion is. Because if you have a stillbirth and you have to push out that child at 26 mm -hmm. weeks, that is still classified as an abortion. Spontaneous abortion. Yep. Correct. And <clears throat> all the way up until birth, where if you give birth to a stillbirth, mm -hmm. that is still classified as an abortion. Correct. That needs to change because mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, all of the numbers that we have right now are skewed. So they put it out there that 1.3% of all abortions um, take place in the third trimester. Well, the moment that you change that terminology, mm -hmm. All of a sudden, that drops drops down to like point zero zero two percent actually take place in the third trimester. Right. Same thing with the second trimester, where second trimester abortions they say account for about four. What was it? Four point five six percent of abortions. Well, if you were to change that definition, and stillbirths, um, you know, God forbid, a cord gets around wrapped around right, the neck, yeah. anything along those lines, mm. all of a sudden, second trimester abortions drops down to under one and a half percent. Those are pretty interesting numbers, actually, Alex. I want you to repeat that last part of it, the second trimester one. Second trimester. So we're at, uh, based off the numbers, they say about four and a half percent of abortions take place in the second trimester. If we change the definition of what an abortion is, that drops down to less than one and a half percent. One and so a half percent. Overall, in second and third trimester abortions of wanted abortions, meaning you went in and wanted to have this done, yeah, is less than one and a half percent. I don't believe that they it should even be at one and a half percent. But again, it's you look at it on a full spectrum. 
we have to look at honest numbers instead of artificial numbers that they are using to control people and to get the emotional response. Well, and you have to remember that, I mean, this is attacking some of the most vulnerable people in our country. And I'm saying that in the sense of, you know, abortions are higher in um, heavily populated areas and inner cities. Basically, they're saying, well, we don't like the decision you made, so we're going to make it for you because you're not incapable. You're not capable of doing that. And I, that is so offensive. I, it just is so offensive to me. I, you know, of course, I will always go to the emotional side of it. You know that. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the rational side of that and you look at it, if somebody makes the decision that they're not ready for something, who am I to tell them that they have to be? Who am I to tell them that they have to be? If their abuser is the person that impregnated him, if, if, you know, it was a product of rape, all of those are obviously, you know, extraneous circumstances, but people do not, I just don't believe that most people go out thinking I'm going to use abortion as a birth control. Yeah. So let's dive into actual Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Because with reading the 60 some odd pages that I've read and diving into the uh, further history of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. There's been the documentaries and all of that stuff, but actually diving into it, pardon me, the part that is is frustrating and most people don't understand. So at the time that Roe v. Wade passed, there were 30 states that had banned abortions, mm-hmm. and there were multiple states that were also considering banning abortions. It was a state right issue, but it went to the federal level. And thus the legis and what a lot of the, the wording is within this, um, within these 95 pages is basically coming back and stating that what they did in Roe v. Wade back in 73 was legislating from the bench okay. and they took the rights away from, away from the state. And so now what this would do with overturning Roe v. Wade is give the rights back to the states. Okay. The ironic thing about all of this is because a lot of people are saying, well, you know, they're tired of a bunch of old white men controlling women's yeah, bodies. Yeah. Five old white Republican justices were the ones that put Roe v. Wade into place. There were two Democrats. Yeah. It was a seven to nine decision. Five of them were old white Republicans. And so it's kind of ironic now that I've heard that argument over and over the last couple of days. I'm like, I mean, I've said it. You don't understand how this bill or how this uh, was enacted in the first place. And so do I believe that a bunch of old white people should be (laughs) making these decisions? Not really. But again, we go back to what the Supreme Court is and what they are is an interpretation of the laws that are passed by the legislature. Correct. They are not the legislature. Correct. And what's happened over the last... We've seen this with DACA. We saw this with a bunch of other things where they just kind of threw laws, threw legislation up against the wall to see if it would stick it, and hoping, I mean, Obamacare yeah. is a big one where they just kind of threw it against the wall to see if it would stick. And then all of a sudden it stuck. Right. Yeah. Much to my chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Whole other podcast. Yes. Yeah. No, I feel yeah. So, but that's where we have to actually take a look at what Roe v. Wade did and what is actually being overturned. So, if right. they do overturn it, it's not a direct ban on abortion. It's giving the rights back to the states, and the states are the ones that make the decision on it. Well, at that point in time, we as citizens, if you don't like how your state's responding to it, 
you live in Texas, you live in Oklahoma, you live in Georgia, you know, wherever it is, and you don't like the bills that are being passed, then run for office. Or vote them out. Vote them out. Yeah. Vote in other people that that you feel have your best interest at heart. But then in addition to that is if this is something that is important to you, move to a state that it's that aligns with your values. So while I would normally say that's a very good option right now with the housing market, I'm not sure that that's an option. <laughs> touché, touché. I'm just throwing it out there. So I do want to bring up an, an, another interesting facet to this case here in Colorado and how this really sort of brings it home for us. So Governor Polis did basically say, you know, we are a safe haven and this is not, we're not going to be doing this. So essentially what that's going to do is we're going to get this massive influx of people coming to the state and we can go into what caveats might be in those laws because right now Texas, of course, there's this $10,000 bounty essentially on anybody that's getting an abortion. Does that count if they're out of state? Do they have to be a citizen of the state they get it in? That's a whole Pandora's box. However, I do want to bring up, we have gubernatorial candidates coming up. Yes. Okay, so we have Polis currently in office who's saying that, and we have two other um, candidates, Greg Lopez and Heidi, what's her last name? Um, I'm looking that up. Um, This Heidi lady who essentially is, she is very, very pro-life and so is Greg Lopez. So, um, there was an interview that Kyle Clark did with Greg Lopez two days ago or one day ago, I guess, um, or yeah, two days ago. Yep. Two days ago, um, talking about his stance on pro-life. Real quick. It's Heidi Ganahl. Heidi Ganahl. Thank you. Heidi Ganahl on her pages. I was looking at her stuff and she is very, very pro-life. And so is Greg Lopez. So Kyle actually asked him to basically put his pro-life without exceptions stance because he believes that the state of Colorado should be pro-life without exceptions. Nothing. Okay. With his 1993 arrest for assaulting his pregnant wife. And wasn't she eight months pregnant? I'm not sure how pregnant she was. I, I was reading something else that it was like third trimester kind of thing, but I can't substantiate that. Honestly, I would like, you know, I need to look into that a little bit more. Um, but he basically said, well, you know, I mean, we've been married for 34 years. I love my wife, wife very much. And she assaulted me too. Okay. Well, let's back that up for just a second. You had a pregnant lady, and now you're saying that you're pro-life. You're pro-life. That's two lives right there. Then, so you assaulted two people. If that's your line of thinking, you assaulted two people because you chose to lay hands on your pregnant wife. And you see the pictures of this woman; she is tiny. She's itty bitty. So, and it's interesting because uh, this isn't the first time that Greg Lopez has run for governor. He ran. Um, four years ago and in the, um, Republican primary, I think he only got 13% of the vote. Yeah. So he wasn't getting too much of it anyway. No. Um, now Heidi, she's very, very pro-life. She's, she's your, she's your like real talk. What is it? Red Republican, <laughs> you know, she's <laughs> red party lines. I mean, and yeah. Hey, look, at least take your stance. Right. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the honesty. Oh, and even when we had Austin Hine on, yeah. I didn't agree with his stance. But again, you know, he was able to make it. He didn't back down from the conversation. And I appreciate that. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? It's to have that opposing opinion and really be able to talk through it. I don't think we came to any sort of agreement. No, but we don't <laughs> have to. It's a, no. uh, the fact that the conversation occurred. Well, and you know, you know, it's it's interesting because um, Greg Lopez actually had another comment that he made about um, – it's time for Colorado has a real first lady again. 
Uh-huh. Wow. Oh, yeah. There's a can of worms happening. Wow. But actually, that kind of fuels the fire of what I was saying earlier about how, okay, we're going to go after women's rights first. Now we're going to go after the LGBTQIA community. Okay. So then you can push that agenda and keep pushing and keep pushing and make it a true red state again because that's what they want. But are they truly representing what we want? No. And so going back to the Austin Hine interview, one of the things that I did appreciate is I said the part that infuriates me with especially Republicans that you want to be as pro-life as they come. That's fantastic. But why has there not been a single bill on adoption reform? Right there. The moment you do anything else, before you do anything else dealing with abortion, you need to put forward true adoption reform. This needs to happen at the state level. It needs to happen at the federal level. Adoption reform needs to happen. I concur so wholeheartedly. Well, and that brings it right back to the social issues, right? So it's really hard and really expensive to adopt a baby from the United States. Yeah. Okay. Really hard. Okay. You ask anybody that's adopted children from the States or internationally, it is a difficult process. It should be somewhat of a difficult process, obviously, especially the vetting, right? We don't want to do any adoption reform. We don't want to pay for social programs like feeding our children. Okay. We don't want to help people with housing. We don't, I mean, and granted, (laughs) you know, there's, there's (laughs) some caveats to that. I will throw that in there. We don't want to help people with that. We want to tax our elderly. They can't pay for their medications. Healthcare is a whole hot mess. Yeah. I mean, tell me how, honestly, you know, when, when the pandemic started, it was interesting because our, our birthing units at all the hospitals across the country were essentially hunkering down, hoarding supplies, hiring tons of staff so that we could deal with the influx of pandemic babies. Didn't hmm. happen. It hmm. didn't happen. You know why? Because the people of birthing age, millennials, okay. Yeah. They said, you know what? We don't want to bring a child into the world right now because we are not fit to be parents and we're not sure that we even want to have children because we're not sure what this is going to look like after the pandemic. We don't have any money. We can't afford to move out of our parents' houses. We can't go to school. We don't have jobs, all of these things. And they said, you know what? Let's get birth control. Birth control went through the roof. Through the roof. I mean, people were getting them online. They were, it's, it's insane, actually. We did not have like the baby boomer kind of thing. Didn't happen. No. Didn't happen. In fact, birth rates went down. Down. Now we are starting to see an increase now because we're coming out of the pandemic and people are saying, okay, all right, maybe if we did want to have children, now's the time. We can do this. We figured out how to live without a single, on a single income. We figured out how to get through a pandemic and be, you know, economically destroyed. We can do this. So yeah. we're starting to see increases now. But isn't that interesting? It is. And with everything that's going on, especially with the talk of overturning Roe v. Wade, I am waiting for the candidate because I have a feeling that there is going to be one of them, if not a couple of them out there, that is going to come out of this and state, fantastic, we can go ahead and eliminate 100% of abortions. 100% of abortions can be eliminated, and all we have to do is do vasectomies at puberty for all men. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I, and I imagine that somebody's going to actually get an awful lot of notoriety on it, but you look at it and you say, if truly the goal is to end all abortions, then you unload the gun. Right. At that point in time, you make every single male that starts going through puberty get a vasectomy. Because they can be reversed. Because they can be reversed. And you do some samples, put them on ice. And then at that point in time, when 
they are able to, they can then have it reversed and be able to have a child. It was interesting. I was watching uh, the old <laughs> Sylvester Stallone movie, uh, Demolition Man. Okay. Have you seen that one? You know, I'm sure a long time ago. I don't remember that. Had plot Wesley at all. Snipes, all of yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And with everything that happened, um, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic world. And I think it came out in '96 or something, if I remember correctly. But that's one of the things that they talk about is there aren't any abortions because there it is very modulated as far as who can have kids. Mm -hmm. And when you have kids, everything's intravenous, everything's controlled. And so you look at it and you go, you kind of take a step back and you try and figure out, okay, let's look at the overall 30,000 foot view of everything that's transpiring right mm -hmm. now is, yes, I don't think that abortion should, it should happen. It should be a, a option of last resort. Absolutely. Is, and, um, gosh, I think you're going back almost a year when we had the abortion topic. Yeah, almost a year, I think. And I gave my story as far as with our daughter and everything that we went through. And it changed my entire perception on abortion because at that point in time, it was dealing with my wife's life, my daughter's life. It was dealing with all of us trying to figure out, okay, how do we get through this? Right. And what is our best option? So you look at what's happening in Europe right now, yeah. where most of the countries in Europe and Japan's a huge issue right now is the lack of births. Mm-hmm. Many, uh, many scientists are saying that we're almost to the peak of population mm -hmm. as far as we're going to peak probably somewhere around eight and a half billion. And then the population numbers are going to come down because people aren't reproducing as much. Or we'll have a giant pandemic. Or that. <laughs> Just starting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you look at that and you, you have all of these other things, social security, when social security was enacted, there was, it was 54 people to one. Now I think it's like three and a half people to one mm -hmm. as far as recipients are concerned. So we need to also look at this from a, uh, from a level of we have to replace our population or we have to do major, <laughs> major legislative work yeah. to change all of the programs that we currently have in place that are supporting our elderly. Again, at the, the time that social security was enacted, I think the average lifespan for a man was 58 right. average for, uh, for a woman was 64, I believe. So they were thinking a couple of years on social security. Well, now we're in the eighties Yeah. as far as, um, life, life expectancy. Mm -hmm. I think men are like 78 women are 80, 82. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a gap on there. Well, I mean, the reality of it is you, you have all these social programs that we should be supporting. Just like you said too, like if you're not supporting abortion reform, then you're not, you're not pro-life. You're adoption, adoptions, reform. adoption reform. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong word there. Adoption reform. Okay. Yeah. You're not really pro-life. You're pro-birth. Yep. I mean, okay. If we want to talk about water shortages, we could go ad nauseum on everything that is going wrong that is not sustainable to life. And I mean, current on the planet life. <laughs> and no. it's just, that's just kind of a slap in the face. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely get passionate about these kinds of things, but I, I would say it's really important to consider that your religious belief may be that you believe that the life of a child is important from the moment of conception, but it's also important to note that if you exert control over somebody else's body, then they have the right to exert control over your beliefs. 
I'm throwing it out there. Hmm. And I, I don't mean to be, no, I do actually mean to be so dramatic that it, this is a very yeah. dramatic issue. It, it is a downward spiral. And interestingly enough, you brought up a good point. What is this a red herring for? Yeah. And that's the part that I've been trying to, to figure out. But even when I ran for Congress, one of the things that, uh, I got asked an awful lot, what my thoughts were on abortion. Yeah. And the thing that always got me is I, you know, went up to Fort Collins and I talked to the protesters and I said, so how many of you guys have offered to pay for an unborn child? Yeah. That you pull a gal aside and say, Hey, we will pay you to bring this child to term. We'll either adopt the child or we'll help support you for the next 18 years yeah. to make sure that this child lives. Right. That's pro-life. Right there. That's pro-life. I would agree. And it, it, it comes down to, like I just said, you know, if you're not willing to support any of those things, then you're pro-birth. And, and realistically, like I said, religious stuff Hey, go, go ahead. That's your choice. And it is your choice to live in that place, but you don't get to exert that on anybody else. And you've asked for freedom of religion, but you want to make decisions for somebody else based on your religion. That doesn't translate. No, at least not to me. I don't know. No, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that we're coming into right now. And again, the, it's shining an awful lot of hypocrisy on the woke culture. Mm-hmm. which I appreciate because <laughs> oh, totally. I'm not a fan of the woke culture. Yeah, um, neither am I, but it is shining lights on the hypocrisy and having, having these discussions and at least these discussions are starting. But if you're having discussions around the dinner table, you're having discussions with your friends, absolutely have your religious points of view. Oh, I support but, it 100%. But if you are having this conversation right now and you don't know what the religious point of view is from the other person that you're having this conversation with, I encourage you to leave out the religious aspect of this conversation because that is shutting down this conversation faster than anything else. And being able to actually sit down, have a conversation because there are plenty of valid reasons plenty of valid reasons and plenty of valid arguments against abortion. Absolutely. Without ever bringing the religious context into it. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, I think there's on both sides, there's plenty of valid reasons, but I, I would, I would actually concur with that statement because I think it's important to look at it from a perspective of compassion and kindness and care for your other human. And, and you have to take a lot of things into consideration. I mean, yeah. that's, how would it, I, at least, like I said, in my opinion, that's how it should be. No. So I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. I, <laughs> I get worked up. Sorry guys. Oh, you're good. Uh, any you're good. responses, please feel free to respond at the native dot, the transplant at gmail.com. Absolutely. It's Jen. <laughs> Two wins. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good to have this conversation and I'm, Keeping an eye on it, I'll finish the, the last remaining pages of, of um, the 95 pages. Um, As I'll start it, and I'll finish it this week. Yeah, and so we'll have a little bit of a recap on that. But the part that worries me the most is what is this hiding? When any of these things come out, I always wonder, okay, we're seeing this. This is the right hand. Now what's the left hand doing? Right. And you need to pay attention. I do want to actually clarify something we talked about earlier. Um, in 1973, um, the report 
on the outcome of Roe versus Wade was actually um, came out before it was published by the Supreme Court. But it was because um, the magazine was weekly and the scoop arrived just hours before the decision was made public. So. Okay, so then it was Roe v. Wade. It wasn't uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Correct. Yeah, so it was 1973, and it was Time Time Magazine's David Beckwith reported on the outcome of Roe versus Wade before the decision was published. But because the magazine was weekly, it arrived just hours before the decision was made public. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that. Oh yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I always love clarification. So. So, and again, it's going to be interesting to see what comes of this. And I imagine that we'll have that conversation because again, this hasn't happened yet. Correct. It's not, it is expected to happen, but you know, public opinion sways things. It certainly does. So, all right, let's get on to the lighter side of things. The good old beer of the week. Yeah. Okay. So beer of the week. So this is a, a one that I've never had before. And I always appreciate the ones that we've, uh, we get a try and that we've never had. This is crazy mountain brewing company out of Denver. Yeah. Um, it is fantastic. So it is called mountain living pale ale. It is described as bright tropical and citrusy. It is 5.7% um, alcohol by volume with an IBU of nine and an SRM. What's an SRM? The SRM. I don't know what that is. Gonna have to find out. Yeah, I haven't seen that on a can before. No, neither have I. Um, <laughs> so, but the uh, the can itself, it looks like something uh, from the where the wild things are. It does. It's super cool. So, and on this can, it is uh, it's called the Mountain Goat plus Elk plus Pika. Jeremiah, and it's sit down for a spell with Jeremiah, the bright and outgoing gatekeeper of Crazy Mountain. He invites those who are truly crazy about beer to stick around a while. Upbeat and a little gossipy, he's happy to chat with anyone and share his fresh perspective. So relax and enjoy a story or two with a beer or two. Okay, so the SRM is the standard reference method, and it's the method for color assessment of wort or beer as published in the recommended methods of the American Society of Brewing Chemists. I don't think I knew that was a thing. It's basically the color. I think I knew that, but I didn't know that. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, what, uh, so what do you think of the actual beer? I actually really like it. It's crisp. It's fairly clean. I mean, you know, I don't mind a little a little weight to my beer, but um, it – has and I love the can, like you said, where the wild things are. It's very cool, um, little otherworldly. Um, yeah, with this one, I I enjoy it. it. You know, it's not it's not hoppy. Um, even as a pale ale, it's not it's not really hoppy. It's one that I could easily see having an orange slice in. Oh yeah, and drinking it extra cold. It's a great sp late spring summertime beer. Yeah, I might even like a grapefruit in this one. This is pretty good. Yeah, it's got a good, I mean, there's several layers to it. So it's a, obviously a really interesting flavor profile, but it's not, it's not boring at all. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a Coors Light. <laughs> hey, you don't you talk about Coors like that. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and well, they're located good. in Denver. I wasn't able to find an address because it looks like they closed one tap room and opened another one. And they just, I'm just not finding that anywhere yet. Yeah. But they are open and, and definitely, you know, can and beers. That's great. And well, I'll put that in the show notes where it's at but yeah so if you haven't had crazy mountain brewing give them a try it's pretty darn good yeah i like it all right so yeah it was a, a little bit of a 
conversation tonight, but I appreciated it. And this was one of the few ones that we did without doing a whole lot of talking beforehand. Yeah. Um, just kind of went for it. But I always appreciate the conversation. I do too. Yeah, it's always nice to kind of delve into things that <laughs> maybe we're not even comfortable with. I'm yeah. fine with uncomfortable. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Well, as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.